So today we continue our homecoming series um, looking, at the, uh, looking at the parable of the prodigal son. And uh, l- last week we saw the son come home, right? Um, embraced by the father. The story ended uh, all nice and happy. They fired up the barbecue. Um, you know, and when the, uh, come up here. And just as Jesus' audience thought that the story was over, um, he introduces a new character and things get messy. The older brother. Now, confession time. I've always had an issue with this parable. Um, I know it's an incredible story of, of God's love on display and, and grace offered to us by the Father, but I'm a middle child. And there's a little bit of a disconnect for me. Um, got the older son, you got the younger son. Where's the middle kid? Forgotten. <laughs> Typical, right? Any other middle kids here? All right, all right, so, so you get it. B- big brother is big mad because he didn't get his party, his own party, right? Wah. Where's the middle child? Not even mentioned. A party? We don't even exist. But in reality, I I do. The real reason this parable is hard for me. Because I resonate with the older son. And as Jesus tells this story, it's, it's hard to be the hard to read a story that Jesus tells and be the bad guy in it. Be the one that doesn't get it. Be the one with the hard heart that that's left out in the cold. And. So it's, I've, there's always been a disconnect for me of not wanting to, to go here and just reading quickly over it. See, I, I tell people that I had a drug problem growing up. Every time the church doors were open, I was drugged to church. Um, and, and so I probably knew Jesus um, before I knew about pizza. So um, it made following, you know, I loved following Jesus. I loved Jesus. And following Jesus uh, was something I was excited about. But at some point, um, following Jesus became more about following the rules. See, because I would look at myself and go, I'm not all that great at this or that. You know, don't put me on, on the court or the field. You know, and, and so where I could measure up is I knew how to do good. I knew what was expected of me as, as a kid, as a Christian kid, and I could play that part. And I became very good at it, so good that it became more about playing that part and playing that role than, than it was loving Jesus. I loved looking like the one that loved Jesus. And I, be, I set up this image to where I felt like I had to be perfect. And the dangerous thing about looking perfect on the outside is it's fertile ground for hidden sin and brokenness on the inside. And through, through my early years in ministry, um, through a mentor and friends, I, I began to understand what God's grace was. And he started to unshackle some of the things that had bound me on the inside. But even as I did ministry, there was still this propensity that I had to, to project an image that I had it all figured out. And that, that hit me square in the face through one phone call. Um, a mom had called me, one of my former students that was, had now gone into the military, was going for, through a difficult time. 
And she shared with me that he was um, on the mental hospital there on, on the base and on suicide watch. And said, would you give him a call? And so I call him up and I listen to his pain and I encourage him and I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to, to know that there's hope, the hope that we have in Christ. And I will never forget the words that he said. He said, Tim, I love you. And I have so much respect for you, but I can never be like you. Here's a young man in pain, pushing Jesus away because I was too caught up trying to play the perfect part, only to find out that the Jesus I des so desperately wanted him to know was unattainable to him because I hadn't let him see the real me. The real me that's a mess without Jesus. The real me that was trying to earn God's favor. The real me that wanted everyone's admiration and approval. The real me that used the image of perfection to hide my, my pride, my lust, and my greed. So I don't know if you resonate as a younger son or the older brother. But my urge to you today as you hear God's words, Jesus' words, is that you come home. I pray. Father, may we see you as the Father that, that doesn't want anything from us other than for us to come home and come into the celebration. Father, the words that Jesus spoke years ago, may your Holy Spirit speak into our hearts that we would not be the same. Regardless of our resistance, regardless of, uh, of us not even knowing or recognizing where our hearts are, Father, we pray that we would hear your voice and come home. Amen. So, you might be an older brother. You might be an older brother if you're a rule follower. You might be an older brother if you do everything right. You might be an older brother if you want everyone to know you do everything right. You might be an older brother if you're envious of, the, of people that have amazing testimonies. You might be an older brother if you have trouble celebrating when someone else gets what you want. Or you might be an older brother when you hear someone say, it's better to ask forgiveness than permission. And you want to punch them in the throat. But you don't because that's against the rules, right? But there's so much more to the older and younger sons than just keeping or breaking the rules. Jesus kind of puts it this way. There's, he addresses two approaches that we have to life or, or have to, to seek after happiness and fulfillment. And he's addressing them in, in, in his story. Uh, the first is self-discovery. And we see this in the younger brother, right? Where he goes, he leaves home to find his identity, to find his dignity, to see where he fits in, to find his own authority. And he, it's, it's this self-discovery. He feels like happiness will come when he discovers who he truly is. And he's going to, the road to self-discovery. I'm be my own man. I'm going to be my, be my own person. And so he goes out. That's one approach the younger brother approach. The second one is uh, moral conformity. 
right? Do the right things the right way, and life is going to work out. The Pharisees believed that the only re- they, they would only receive the blessing and favor of God if and, and salvation by, by strict obedience to Scripture. And so this is this idea, if, if I do the right thing, the right things are going to happen to me. The good things, the, what I want, I'm entitled to that. And, and the thing is, some older brothers, some of us, we, as we do that, we recognize that we can't really fully do that. So we secretly maintain the wayward life of the younger brother. Or others of us um, secretly desire or are jealous of the disobedient life, but we don't dare do it. But what Jesus is inviting us to see is that both sons rebelled. One rebelled by being very bad. The other rebelled by being very good. See, both wanted something from the father rather than the father. In reality, there are just two simple ways to be alienated from the Father. And Jesus is addressing the heart behind those that that criticized him for welcoming sinners. He's making a plea to the self-made, self-righteous do-gooders to change their heart, to embrace what they couldn't see, to embrace what they were missing. Jesus is pleading with the religious leaders that have abided by this moral code to change their hearts a plea that I I believe we'd be wise to hear. Now this comes with a warning because it's in an invitation. As we look into the story, I want you to kind of look into into the mirror and to examine if you see some older brother tendencies popping up. Because the reality is the longer you spend in the father's house, the more risk you have of becoming the older brother. The more risk rules can become more important than a relationship. The, the, the more risk we put confidence in our own self-righteousness rather than the righteousness of, of Christ. We become resentful when we see grace poured out on other people because we de- desperately long for that ourselves, but we've started to play a part and we forget who we are. So let's look at the text. Luke chapter 15, got your Bibles, your phone Bibles, or as Trent talks about, we've got the Sky Bible up here. Meanwhile, the older son is in the field. Okay, so right from the beginning, we see that he's at work. He's doing what was expected of him. He's not shirking his responsibilities like the, the younger son. He's carrying out his responsibilities. The older son was in the field. Again, the field is not in the far country. It's on the estate. But remember, prodigal isn't a position on a map, but it's the condition of the heart. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. I don't know how you hear dancing unless it's like clog dancing or whatever you call that. But he heard the dance music. It wasn't Celine Dion playing. He heard like cha-cha real smooth, you know, right? So he knew, hey, this is a party. Like where, what's going on? And so he calls one of the servants and asks him, what's going on? Now, I don't know, but I kind of think that there's a little bit of angst in this. What's going on? 
because I, I believe he's put out that he didn't know. He was not informed. This decision did not come through him to see if it was a good idea to throw a party. Um, and so what's going on? He, you know, I wasn't even called to come into the party. And I don't know, have you ever felt like you have to know everything? And you're upset when you're the last to find out or it wasn't cleared by you? Little older brother there. Ever wonder why? Maybe it's the need to control. Maybe knowing validates you when you, you feel important. So he's told, your brother has come home, he replied. And the, and the father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. So the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So to break this down for you, his brother got a cow, so he had a cow. Something in his heart would not allow him to celebrate with his brother. Uh, and, and he didn't even know about the, you know, wait until he finds out about the robe ring and the new kicks, right? Um, and his response was he refused to go in. Now it's the older son's turn to disgrace the father. He refuses to go in to what is undoubtedly the biggest celebration that his father has ever given. And he publicly cast a vote of no confidence in his father, saying this shouldn't happen, shouldn't be spending money this way. In fact, he's, he's making the same verdict about his father as the Pharisees have made about Jesus. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. It's the same objection. So, his father went out to him. The father leaves the party and he comes out to his son. We see the father's compassion and motion. And we see the same love for both sons. He goes out to both, being undignified to his younger son, pulling up his robe and running, exposing his legs, scandalous. With his older son, he leaves this celebration that is his, celebrating his son coming home, and he steps out to go after the son. So his father went out and pleaded with him. This word, parakaleo, is to call for, to encourage, to pull aside, and to plead. The way I kind of envision it, fathers in the room, we ever have a, a kid that's going through a difficult time, they're discouraged, they lost the game, or, or, and, and you come up and you put your arm around them and you hold them in tight and you're encouraging them. You're telling them who they are, that, that they've got this, right? And you're encouraging them to do, to do the right thing even though they may be scared. And here the son is having none of it. He's pushing the father away. But his father answered. And in this moment, we see past the, the obedient son's facade. And we see his pride, his, uncon, his unforgiving spirit, his, his selfishness is now boiling to the surface. There's no more hiding it. He looked the part, but now we see his heart. And he says, look. And it's not just a look. It's look, you. He doesn't say dad or 
esteemed father or sir. It's look. His problem isn't with his brother. It's with his father. What about you? Is it a reason we can't embrace others and love? Because we really have a deep-seated issue with the Father. Could it be the, the contempt that we have for others, the jealousy, the comparison, the envy, all of that? It's not about the others, but it's really about that we're holding something against God. Why them? Why not me? It's not fair. It's not right. Listen to the Son as he lays into the Father and states his case. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. You hear it? All these years I've been slaving for you. His own words betray him. You, I'm going to butcher this, but the Greek is duleuo. duleuo. Um, it's to serve as a slave. His own words expose that he didn't understand what it meant to be a son. So let me ask you, has the work of God become a burden? Are you weary from it? Are you resentful? Let me remind you of Jesus' words in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I hated that verse because it was not true. Not in my life. I didn't see it. Your burden is light. Come, come all who are weary and burdened. Okay, I'm coming to you. Burden is not light. I constantly feel judged by you, even though I'm getting praise of men, but I know what's really going on. And it, it, if you hear these words with resistance, I want you to understand that you're either fighting the yoke or you're trying to prove yourself by it, trying to outwork Jesus. When we work for the Father, only to get from the Father, we forego the invitation to be with the Father. Our focus becomes about what we think or what we deserve. But the Father's focus the whole time is us. He says, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. See, he saw obedience as a way to control the father. I've never disobeyed you. Now you have to do things my way. And it's not like the father disagrees that the son has been obedient. Now, again, we know no son is perfectly obedient other than the son. But see, his goodness is keeping him from experiencing the father's love. We need not just to repent only for the wrong things we do, but the right things we do for the wrong reasons. He goes on. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf. Why is he so furious? He's upset about the cost. First, you need to understand the whole young goat, fattened calf thing. Uh, this, this was a culture that did not eat meat daily. That was not on the menu. Um, and so it was a special occasion. A young goat would, would be for a special occasion. He wants to party with his friends. A fattened calf, not just a special occasion for the family. You didn't kill the fattened calf for just the family. It's way too much. This was a communal deal. The whole community, the whole neighborhood was in on this celebration. And he saw it as his money. It was his inheritance. After all, the younger son, what did he do with his? The third of the estate, he squandered it. What's left is going to be his. And so he's seeing dollar signs go up and going, hey. And then I think with the cost, he sees this unjust treatment of, because he's obeyed the rules. He's entitled to this. The law is, you know, you do what's right, you get the reward, you, you do what's wrong, you suffer the penalty. And now new rules have kicked in. These rules of grace that say, when you do do right, you don't get the cow. And when you do wrong, you get the party. And these new rules of grace aren't fair because his obedience plan, his way of figuring out life was crashing down and it wasn't working. See, the father's happiness was never his goal. He has the opportunity to delight the father by joining in the celebration, but he can't. He doesn't. Because like the younger son, he wanted what the father had more than, than he wanted the father. So then, and then he, so as he goes on, he says, but when this son of yours, listen to the contempt when the son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf. He's saying, your son. I don't know if you've ever come home and your spouse says, will you look at the mess that your son made? Right? And you're like, uh, isn't he both of ours? I thought we did this together. And so, um, but what's happening there in that moment is a distancing going, no, 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 no. He's, he's your kid. He did this because he's like you, and it's your mess. You clean it up, your fault, your responsibility. And that's what the son is saying. This son of yours, he's disowning just as, this, as the younger son had disowned the father, he, the older son is now disowning the younger son. You deal with it. So how does his father respond? Now, the culture, those listening, especially the Pharisees, disown that boy. He's dead to you. This outrageous dis, you know, display of disrespect and resentment and, and humiliation, he gone. But this was the same dis disgrace that the Pharisees were showing Jesus. 
But in this story, he's gently pleading with them, the very ones that will orchestrate his execution on a cross. And he's inviting them into a joy that they've never known. Listen to the father's words. He says, my son. My son. He doesn't disown the younger for his waywardness, and he doesn't disown the older for his arrogance. Calls him son. Now, the word here is not what we, we would call son, but actually child. An affectionate f- form of, of, of address. A child or childlike. And it indicates this idea of, of one living in full dependence upon the father. Which is amazing because that's not the reality of the older son but it's still how the father sees his son. It's not a harsh reprimand, but it's a loving plea. You were always with me. You've always been with me. Everything that I have is yours. And it's literally true. The two thirds of the estate that's left is the son's inheritance. Do you trust the father's words? as he speaks those over you. The older son has, by not hearing those words, the, only, the older son has not only just lost his brother, but also his father. And he's chosen to alienate himself to where he's a foreigner in his own home. I wonder of our failure to to believe those words. Have you become a foreigner in God's house? Have you alienated yourself? And the father says, but we had to. We had to celebrate. It was necessary. We had, to be, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, see what he's doing? He's not allowing, he is not allowing the son to disown his brother. He's reminding him, no, he, he, he belongs to you. This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. So here's the problem with the older son. problem with being the older son. We're more proud of our good deeds than repentant of our bad ones. We count on our goodness, not the father's. We're good for our own good, not his. We know we don't measure up, so we find fault in others to hide our own insecurities. We repent of our sin, but not the sin of seeking to be our own savior. We have put our hope and trust in things other than God. We do things for the Father to get things from the Father. See, the answer isn't being better. It's coming home. So what do you do? What do I do if the person staring back at me in the mirror is the older son? First, Trust the Father's words. 
my child. You have always been with me. Everything I have is yours. Hear those words and don't push back going, yeah, not always. I haven't always been. No, hear his words. Hear him say, you've always been with me. Everything I have is yours. Rest in it. We don't work to get back home. We work from home. We work from a place of home. Rest in it. Rejoice in it. Begin to replace the resentment that you have with gratitude. They can't coexist. And then rescue others as you believe this for yourself. You rescue others with this. From a place of having everything, you now can give everything to go after those that don't yet understand. So trust the Father's words. Secondly, come to the celebration. Replace resentment with gratitude. Start celebrating. Dance without worrying about what you look like. And I'm preaching to the choir. The only few people have seen me dance. There's a reason for that. I look pretty stupid. But imagine being free to be who God created you to be without any hesitation. Really, in terms of the word prodigal, to be extravagantly spending yourself for the kingdom. See, because when you stay outside and you don't come into the party, when you stay outside, you can only be filled with resentment that's fueled by the comparison. When you're outside, other people look more loved by the Father than you. From the outside, you don't see others as your family. You see them as getting what you should have. Don't alienate yourself from both the father and his family. Don't be a foreigner in your own house, his house. Come inside to the party. The answer isn't being better. It's coming home to the father. Third, when we recognize the person staring back at us as the older brother, consider the cost. How can our hearts be changed from this selfishness, resentment, fear, anger to that of love, joy, and gratitude? We must be moved by the sight of what it costs to bring us home. We've got to be moved by the sight of what it costs to bring us home. Think about it for a minute. The, the story ends, and it ends unresolved. And I believe for two reasons. Jesus ends it unresolved because it's a plea to the teachers of the law to change, to change their heart and to come home and to come into the celebration. But there's something more. The first two parables have someone looking for the lost. The lost sheep, shepherd goes looking for the sheep, finds it, celebrates. The lost coin, someone goes looking for the coin, finds it, invites people to celebrate. Third story, no one goes looking for the son. 
See, the listeners would have expected someone to go looking. But who? Wasn't the father's role. The older brother. That's who. See, in the, even in the biblical narrative, we see the first family, Cain and Abel, and he goes, am I my, my brother's keeper? And God's essentially like, yeah, yeah, you are. We see Reuben, where he wants to rescue Joseph. He fails to do so, but he wanted to because he's the older son. It's, it's what he's supposed to do. It's what is expected. You leave an older child to watch your younger kids, you expect them to be in charge, right? Hopefully they're old enough to do that. Um, our first time we did that, that was a mess, but that's a story for another time. Um, the, uh, but Reuben even pledges protection to take Benjamin back, back to Egypt. And so his listeners would have understood, where's the older brother? The older brother should be the one going after the son. A true older brother would have gone after the younger it's the older son's responsibility to seek after the lost son. They would have expected the older brother to go, Dad, you sit on the porch. I'm going to go after him. Um, I'll find him. I'll do what it takes. And when I find him, yeah, he's probably blown all the money. That's okay. We'll bring him back. I'll pay for it. It's on me. But we've got to get him back. That's what they would have expected in a story with a bow on it. But see, by putting a flawed brother in the story, Jesus is inviting us to imagine and yearn for a true older brother. Jesus is that true older brother. He's the firstborn who left home to seek us. Listen to Philippians 2. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used by his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. He left his identity, his authority, his dignity. He left the robe, ring, and sandals. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of, of the right hand of the throne of God in Hebrews twelve. See, our forgiveness is free, but costly to the one offering it. The cross is that cost to bring us home. You want to change the heart of the older brother within you? Then you come to grips and you look at the sight of what it costs to bring you home. Jesus is stripped of his robe so that we can be clothed with dignity. Our truer brother left the porch and he came after us. He paid the price for us to be brought back home. In a few moments... You'll take the elements, the bread and the cup. And I want you to be blown away by the sight of the cost that was spent to bring you home. His body that was broken for us, represented in the, in the bread, and, his, and in the cup 
the blood of a new arrangement, one of grace, one that we don't have to earn anything, but is freely given. I want you to hear the Father's words, my child, be with me. Everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. And then the incredible mystery of all of this, as we recognize the cost that was paid for us to come home. The Father wants us to sit on the porch with him. He invites us to sit on the porch with him, longing and expecting and waiting younger sons to come home. Even more, to get up and seek after them. See, the answer isn't being better. It's coming home to the Father. When Jen and I were expecting our first, I began to journal, writing letters to who would later be our firstborn son. Journal entries saying, hey, we're so excited to meet you. I don't know if you're a boy or girl, but it doesn't matter. We, we are crazy about you. And as the entries went on, hey, son, and just, you know, just sharing the excitement that, that we had, that he was going to be part of our family. Later, we gave him a name. And we continue in that journal, knowing that one day I would hand it to him. He's about seven or eight years old. Going through a particular, you know, behavior rough time. And I just felt it wasn't the right time to give him the whole thing. But I felt maybe it was time that he knew, he knew it existed. I said, come here. We sit down on his bed. And I want to read something to you that I wrote before you were born. We knew you were coming. And so I read a, a couple entries. He looked at me, sat there quietly. He looked up and said, so, are you disappointed? Maybe a little bit. No. My heart broke that he would ever think that. No. Yeah, I know that we're going through it right now, but no. You're my son. And I would do anything and everything so that you would know that. That's the father's heart. Whether you're the younger son or the older son, you're his son, you're his child. And he has done everything so that you would come into the celebration. So whatever's keeping you, come home. Father, as we look at the cross, we see the depth of your love. Where your, your son stepped out off the porch into the world. 
to be a propitiation of our sin, to soak in all, all the punishment and all the wrath that was due us. He received. Father, may the sight of that melt our heart before you. And whatever has kept us from coming home, whatever has kept us from dancing, may we throw it off and dance joy.